Hello and welcome back to the Let's Talk Palestine podcast. We're here to show you up on what has been a day full of emotions for absolutely everyone. I'm Ali and with me I have Fadis. Hiya. And Dee. Hello. And together we're going to take you through exactly what's gone on today in, yeah, what has been one of the most eventful days in a very long time, at least in my lifetime. So the first thing that we need to really mention is the context, because this is something that has really been omitted from the media, from the from the mainstream media stories thus far. Fadis, I wanted to ask you, how have we gotten to this stage today? It's really fun because if you asked me yesterday that tomorrow we're getting to the stage where Palestinian resistance groups can take retake six or seven settlements and demolish parts of the Gaza fence, I would have told you, you're absolutely crazy, you're hallucinating, which is what I thought I was doing this morning. Um, but what I think we're basically seeing, and what's unfortunately not very much conveyed or easy to see uh, if you're going through you know, the media and the headlines, is we're not seeing, we're not seeing, people have this image that Gaza's just this, they think of Gaza as like this country that is next to Israel, Israel and Gaza, are these two countries next to each other. And Gaza just keeps bothering Israel. We keep just hearing of rockets coming out of Gaza for no reason. And I think that is really, really important to correct because Gaza is occupied by Israel. Gaza is actually surrounded by a siege by Israel. And I think what that means, I want to just put that into detailed, concrete terms to what that actually means. If you're a Palestinian in Gaza, you're not allowed to leave or enter Gaza without Israeli permission, which is really, really hard to get. So actually, for example, if you got accepted into a university in the UK, in the US, say you got an, you know accepted to Brown University, uh, you might apply to leave Gaza to go study. And Israel might just tell you no. And they might not even tell you why. They might not even give you a reason or they might just never respond to you. And you just wouldn't get to go to university. Uh, you can't import or export anything you want. If you're a fisherman in Gaza and you go to fish, uh, you can only access the shallow waters. Because if you go any deeper, the Israeli Navy is going to shoot at you with the intention or at least being okay with killing you, even if you're just an innocent fisherman. And so really... Gaza is besieged very violently. Its skies are constantly occupied by drones. If you went there, you'd hear a constant whirring noise, you know, a noise in Gaza because of the drones there. It's snipers surrounding it, walls surrounding it. This is a very violent siege. And the Palestinians in Gaza for 15 years, for as long as the siege has gone on, have been trying to break free, have been trying to end this siege. And what we're seeing is nothing new. It's just another attempt by an oppressed people saying we're not going to be oppressed and we're going to fight back. We're not going to just sit there here and die in an open air prison. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's not even to mention any of the massacres and all the wars, the so-called wars, where I would prefer to call them massacres over the years since 2007, the blockade has been implemented and four times they have entered or they've basically rained bombs down from above wherever they want, uh, claiming that they're looking for terrorist targets. But the majority of casualties in each of these cases is always civilian. Um, and so I guess this leads us on to exactly what happened this morning. Do, do you want to explain a bit as to sort of how maybe you you came across the news and how 
and how it really, I guess, felt um, being so far, like all of us being outside of Palestine and, and how it kind of all came across? Well, I, I guess in the beginning developments of this story, I was actually shocked. I was almost feeling joy because, you know, there was some symbolic or not even symbolic. They actually broke through the fence. You know, these people were imprisoned for close to a decade now, you know, under the, living under the siege, calories counted, um, facing food and water insecurity. So at the end of the day, I was feeling some... <laughs> I, I don't want to say happiness, but like I said, I, you know, upon the first first news that broke, I was just almost joyous. Like, you know, they broke through the fence. There was this tactical operation, but also angst because we already know Israel's dispropor disproportionate response mm -hmm. that's, you know, going to eventually happen, which is this aerial bombardment, indiscriminate bombings. Um, you know, they know the radius blast of these bombs will kill anybody in in proximity almost so they, but they don't care you know this is how much they value palestinian life they don't value it no no like 100 percent. and i mean i think it's really important for people to understand when we say disproportionate uh these are the numbers we're talking about over the last over the last 20 something years for every one israeli that's been killed like 20 palestinians have been killed for every one israeli there have been 20 so when we're talking about 50 Israelis being killed, that's, I'm not the best at math, a thousand? Yeah, I think, yeah, a thousand. That's a thousand Palestinians killed. So when we say disproportionate, this is what we really mean. And D, exactly like you were saying, you have to feel joy. I mean, at least, at least a mixture of joy when you see what's happening, because since this blockade was imposed in 2000, 2007, so it's been 16 years now, actually, not 15 so I, I go back on what I said. This is the first time that Palestinians in Gaza have been able to finally break through the fence in this way and regain some of the territory from outside of Gaza. And actually, just to clarify to anyone who's a bit confused to me when I say regain, I think most people are really shocked when they find out that most people in Gaza aren't actually from Gaza. Uh, I think 75 or 80% of Palestinians in Gaza aren't from Gaza. They're from the lands surrounding Palestine, surrounding Gaza that were colonized by Israel in 1948. And when Israel colonized these lands, they wiped out all the Palestinians there and expelled the rest uh, who became refugees. And a lot of them were then went to Gaza. And so that's, that's where they are today. So when I say regain, all of these freedom fighters who actually went into these settlements these are probably the lands they're from. These are lands they've probably actually never seen in their entire lives because it's been 75 years. You know, their grandparents saw them, but this new generation hasn't. So I think, you know, of course, we all knew what was coming. We all knew it wouldn't just be happy sights. Um, but of course, it does inspire hope. I think for me, it was kind of really, I think as Palestinians, we kind of have to have some level of hope and even even in the worst times like we still have to have this kind of glimmer of hope just at the back of our, in the back of our minds to to kind of think that one day as bad as it is now one day our country will be free and i think for me this morning when seeing these images of the wall being basically torn down and people just walking through as if it wasn't any kind of as if it was never a border 
it kind of realized the tiniest bit of hope it was probably i mean for me it was shocking to see i can't imagine what it was like for the people on the ground there who especially for people under the age of 15 who have only ever known blockade to just see it just open all of a sudden and just walk through and as if it was nothing and yeah that that's what really struck me this morning a lot of people were like why would hamas carry out this you know you know this operation knowing the repercussions you know it's just going to be a bombardment that kills tons of civilians on you know the gazan side but the problem is is like they live under this despair like you you know you remove everyone's will to, i mean hope <laughs> they're going to who said it diana diana butu forgive me if i pronounced it wrong but she said don't underestimate the people's desire to be free you know at the end of the day you you put these people in an, in a prison and this is all they've ever known at the end of the day they're going to do what it takes to be free even if that means you know it's, they're going to die at the hands of this um you know everyone knew what was coming out go ahead i'm sorry no that that just kind of leads me on perfectly to what i wanted to ask next because obviously when you look at the reactions of the international community it's always like shock and horror that palestinians would ever rise up against um uh, rise up against apartheid and occupation but obviously they don't see the apartheid and occupation or at least they turn a blind eye to it and so i think we should spend a couple of minutes now because you mentioned hamas there um we should spend maybe a couple of minutes trying to sort of give a bit of context as well on the on hamas and kind of the legitimacy of armed resistance because in no case around the world, let's give an example of the British in India. Would you have really told the Indians to just be like, nah, just take it and like, it'll be fine? Obviously, you wouldn't. You wouldn't do that for the Algerians with uh, with French colonialism. You wouldn't do that ever. So why does this not exist for Palestine too? Yeah, I mean, 100%. I think that's the thing is that in a lot of parts of the world, not all, but there are parts of the world where the political discourse, like, for example, in the United States or the United Kingdom, uh, they, the idea of Palestinians actually fighting back seems quite radical, right? And it's just not something I can really understand because it's quite a natural reaction that any nation, right, any people, any community... If it's being attacked and brutalized and it needs to defend itself and it needs to respond uh, militarily, that's what it's going to do. That's very standard. And I think when you condemn armed resistance, it's quite shocking because what you're really saying is that the people who can use violence is the nuclear power with one of the world's most advanced militaries backed by the world's only global superpower the united states and that is oppressing and occupying seven million palestinians in palestine not to mention all the millions of refugees who can't return who are outside palestine you're saying these are the ones who are allowed to use violence but the stateless people the stateless people are mostly majority of whom are refugees who are constantly subjected to attack and to oppression and who are killed on a weekly basis, multiple of them every week, uh, they're not allowed, they're not entitled to protect themselves. And oh, by the way, nobody else is either. Uh, and so really, I think when people talk about armed resistance and you know Hamas, we're not going to get into like a discussion of Hamas entirely, but it's just really a Palestinian faction that understands that the only time 
an oppressor or a state will give up its privileges is when it's forced to. Why would Israel give up its privileges if it doesn't have to? Of course, it's going to keep them. It's just irrational. It's only ever going to stop if there is meaningful pressure. And the pro, the peaceful protests, the, the 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 very strongly worded condemnations from governments around the world, those aren't enough to off you know to count to outweigh all these economic interests and these political and ideological interests uh, that Israelis have constantly voted for in their elections. So this is this is a very proportionate response. The only thing I would change about what you just said is the fact that you said Hamas is one of the factions uh, that realizes this. I would argue it's the only faction um, that really stands for any kind of armed resistance. They get like any the only sort of big faction within Palestinian society, which which will stand against the Israeli oppression. And so, I mean, it always comes whenever these these um, these escalations occur. We always have the question when if a Palestinian goes on to BBC News or something like that, and it has to be, do you condemn Hamas? Do you commend, uh, condemn Hamas? And we don't have to agree with absolutely everything, but if they're the only people willing to stand up for an entire population who has been suffering for 70, for over 75 years, this happened before the Nakba. My family left before the Nakba. It's it's like, <laughs> are we really, really just meant to to sit down and take it? <laughs> 100 percent uh, i mean again i mean uh, there are there are just some smaller factions but i guess you're right in terms of hamas being the main one yeah palestinians are constantly asked to you know before we can even say anything about israel we have to condemn any palestinian who ever decides to fight back and who doesn't just choose to you know be silent as they are killed um and i i also want but i do want to clarify that even though fighting back is a very natural response it's not one that's taken lightly um we were discussing this before we started recording but you know when we were talking about a death toll of 20 palestinians killed per every israeli what that really means is that if you're a palestinian you 100 understand the very steep and very real price that you are about to pay for choosing to fight back you probably yourself you probably will be killed you will you know you have loved ones who will be affected if not killed themselves and so i think people whenever they see palestinians or really any heavily oppressed group in general i'd say because this is a very universal issue and i think people can and i do learn from palestine uh, learn about other struggles and i think the human condition from palestine people need to ask how bad how coercive and oppressive must conditions be and circumstances be to push someone to accept paying such a steep price and when you ask someone in gaza that you know well why do you support the resistance if you know you actually you yourself or someone you know might be killed in what's about to come they'll tell you that honestly it's either a slow death or a quick death if we don't fight back we're not really living here we're dying a very slow death. We can't get enough food. We can't find jobs. I can't provide for my family. This is a slow death. I would rather take the risk on a quick death, but have the chance of creating change. You know, a lot of people argue, why not be diplomatic? Why not talk this out? Or, you know, take that approach. What has changed? If anything, Israel has become more belligerent, more violent, more, you know, at the end of the day, nothing has changed. It's uh, like, 
you see the new extremist government has no no inhibitions they're not trying to stop <laughs> at any cost like they're doing what was it recently they um something about shoot to kill the yeah they wanted uh israeli police to have just to use live fire against protests by palestinians who have israeli citizenships so not even palestinians in the west bank the palestinians who actually have israeli citizenship and so you'd think okay maybe israel would care a bit more for the minister is planning to just allow for open fire against them and he specified not against jewish israelis like he specified this very explicitly very unapologetically and he's also made it clear for settlers that they should be carrying guns anyway because that's just the normal way that people should live just carrying assault rifles in case there's a palestinian around <laughs> i've seen a lot of people defend that you know how the resistance stormed the settlements oh you know these are innocent civilians this and that and i'm like little do you know a lot of them are carrying these ak's and assaulting actually nearby palestinian towns and villages on the daily but i mean not i can't speak for that one specifically but you you see this all the time so i don't know i i can <laughs> i can say a lot right now no, I think like the thing is that I think people need to understand that there are distinguishing things about Palestine because a lot of people have this view that the problem is the Israeli government or certain actions that the Israeli government does. But the problem really does run so much deeper. I think what's really helpful for people to understand is that this isn't a state with a colonization project that is pursuing this project of colonization of colonizing palestinian lands and taking over their land and kicking them out and replacing them with settlers this is a colonization project with a state right and a lot of the colonization isn't actually done by the government it's done by settler groups and movements people that you know the inter the international press calls civilians but are heavily armed independent actors who are going to Palestinian lands, taking it over and terrorizing Palestinians. I really don't think those, these people do not qualify. These settlers don't qualify as civilians. It's really um, shocking to see when, especially when you see the international media or the international government say, oh, Israelis, or abhorrent attacks on Israeli civilians, Israel has the right to defend itself, blah, blah, blah. But then Palestinians don't have the right to defend themselves. And let alone Palestinian civilians, it's fine. Um, but let's go on to the million dollar question. <laughs> what is going to happen next? Um, it's obviously been something that we've said is unprecedented. I've, as I said, I've, in my lifetime, I can't think of anything similar to this. What's going to happen? <laughs> it's a tough question. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, like, the thing is, I know all of us are a little hesitant to say anything because I don't think anyone in the world really knows, really has a very conclusive answer because nobody on earth other than, you know, Hamas knew what was going to happen today. Nobody could have expected it. I think, you know, we all woke up convinced we must be hallucinating. Um I, th I think what everyone can agree on is that because this is the largest operation that Palestinians have ever undertaken in modern history, um, and it's also the biggest humiliation of Israel's military power, and uh, Israel is going to respond very, very harshly, and we've already seen that. So I, I'm sure the number has gone up since I last checked, but at the time of recording, 
just over 200 Palestinians had already been killed. And I think to convey, uh, I want people to understand that that is a much higher number than usual. Uh, that is, before today, it was also around 200 Palestinians that had been killed the entire year so far. I don't know the exact number, but I know it's like 200 something. And for example, I'm sure a lot of people here remember in uh, May 2021 with um, the Sheikh Jarrah movement and the, the attack on Gaza back then, people were talking about all these massacres and, and they were massacres, but in total, only 100, I mean, I don't want to say only, that's a terrible thing to say, but the number of people killed in Gaza during that time was 120, which is a huge amount, or maybe 220. I, I really hope I'm not getting the number wrong. And that's already how many have been killed in less than one day today. And this isn't going to end in just a few days. This is probably going to last at least, who knows, two weeks, several weeks. We're talking about a full-blown war. And I think Israel is very keen to try not to be humiliated. And also its leaders, we need to remember, its leaders need, want to prove to their population that they aren't weak. And so that means Israel is very happy to be condemned all around the world for excessive use of force and excessive massacres. Although, of course, as an occupier, everything you do is excessive other than getting out of their land. Uh, they'd rather take those condemnations than be voted out in the next election. And so we are going to see, I think, unprecedented violence, at least in terms of our generation. I mean, in terms of whenever it comes to to election cycles in Israel, it's always about the right being, or at least Netanyahu loves to call himself Mr. Security. And that is something which has been completely uh, contradicted in what has happened today, because this for Israelis is also unprecedented. This is like... Yes, they yes they sometimes have to go into their bomb shelters. Thank God they have bomb shelters because Palestinians don't. But they th this is something very new for them as well, and um, and for Mister Security, and for Mister Security, indeed. Very cringy nickname, but yeah. <laughs> but it's it's exactly that that this whole operation today has really just burst the bubble of Israel being impenetrable, the right in Israel being a like guaranteeing security and. The only thing that I would say is that these people in this far-right government are absolutely mental. And so really, we, we do not know at what limit they'll stop at with their response. But what is condemnation? You know, at the end of the day, they're not, they know they're not answering to any of it. They, they're going to do what they can, and no one's going to hold them accountable. Not the international community. You know, we need more than just mere words of, you know you used disproportionate force or what? I, I don't know. I think that's my frustration. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think I do wonder, just to get back to your question, Ali, uh, about what is going to happen. I mean, of course, it's very difficult to say, but maybe I think if we look back at history, um, the closest parallel I can think of, like um, an event that is really remembered as also shattering the myth of Israeli invincibility is in, you know, we're going to go like just quickly veer into some history here in 19, was it 68, I believe, in the Battle of Al-Karame in, uh, in Jordan, when Israel tried to, uh, it's infiltrated Jordan for an operation, I can't remember why, and the PLO, the Palestine Liberation Organization at the time, with the Jordanian army, 
fought like completely succeeded in fighting off the Israelis and actually like inflicted a very high number of losses. And so what happened then was it wasn't uh, it was a military victory, but the biggest significance is that it was a huge political victory. And so it actually that's considered the moment where the Palestinian national movement really burst onto the scene because everyone around the world saw like, oh, my God, Palestinians did that. And so they just started to get much more popular. They became treated as respectable political actors. And it completely fundamentally reshaped the Palestinian political scene. And so I do have to wonder, looking at this and then comparing Hamas to the other big Palestinian party, which is Fatah, which for those who don't know, controls the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank. It's deeply unpopular, widely known as very corrupt. Uh, instead of fighting Israel, it actually cooperates with its military and even provides intelligence to it. And I think one of the big effects of this is going to be that Palestinians are now going, like the, the national movement will be reshaped and it will be reconfigured. And I think a new movement will slowly begin to take shape within, I mean, probably will take years, but it is happening. And D, D sorry, I, I've spoken a lot, but I've seen you writing down notes. So uh, I'm curious. Well, you know, I wanted to touch base on the fact that they have hostages. Um, this is unlike other, you know, other times where Gaza just fires rockets, right? Now they were able to capture hostages, which most likely will be a prisoner swap um, in the end. I, I'm hoping because there are a lot of Palestinians held in administrative detention. For example, my cousin is one of them. Um, so, you know, we're, I'm anticipating something to come out of that. That was a very strategic move. I'm Listen, I don't advocate for violence towards any civilian, but like this is a negotiating tool. Again, there's no, there's no such thing as diplomacy. You don't really negotiate with your occupier and plus an occupier is not negotiating with us. They, they say we don't negotiate with terrorists. Hamas is not a terrorist group. Well, let's just put that out there. Um, they are resisting a colonial entity that shows them no regard for, I mean, the, clearly we've seen where Israel is going and it's not going in the right direction in terms of, you know, considering the Palestinian population as one of their own too. You know, this is a foreign entity that's controlling and dominating Palestinians. So we have to keep that in consideration at the end. Absolutely. Um, I mean, like, like what, what you're saying about the hostages is actually a huge game changer because if you look at the ratios of prisoner swaps in, in the past, because usually Israel will release many more Palestinians per Israeli just because they have more hostages. Uh, based on those past rates, the Palestinians actually now have enough uh, prisoners of war to exchange to liberate every single Palestinian prisoner, all almost 5,000, I think, Palestinian hostages, which is huge. It's a game changer, especially because many of these are political prisoners mm -hmm. who are really effective leaders and activists and intellectuals. So it's not just 5,000 people. These are some of the most important 5,000 people who need to be out there to create change and to, to achieve freedom. I, I've seen... Often in the discourse, it's often like, oh, where is Palestine's Nelson Mandela? Where is Palestine's um, <laughs> Martin Luther King or something like that? And it's like, well, if even children can go to prison for doing absolutely nothing, 
then how do you expect any single person to be able to resist without going to prison? Uh, and that's exactly the basis that Israel kind of works off. Anybody in any way, shape or form that is seen resisting, even if they're not, stick them in prison. Um, yeah, yeah, but Palestinian, okay. uh, no, just, Final just point. Like Palestinian Gandhis and Nelson Mandela's uh, have all been killed or imprisoned pretty much. Exactly. Or are about to be, or Israel's trying to at least. Exactly. And well, yeah, no, just to add on to one thing that you said, out of those 5,000 as well, there's over over 150 of these 5,000 prisoners are children as well, just as one final point. Um, but just to finish off, to, to close up this conversation, I think often, especially us as Palestinians in the diaspora, it's very, we often feel maybe a bit guilty or a bit sort of like useless in, in moments like these, because we see our friends, our families really kind of almost on the front lines, even though they're not sort of fighting per se, but existence is resistance at the end of the day. And I kind of just want to ask you guys, what can we do as Palestinians in the diaspora? What can somebody who's literally got nothing to do with Palestine do, who is simply interested in Palestine and simply wants justice in this world i mean i deal with survivor's guilt all the time because i could have very well been there and not here where i am luckily um you know i definitely want to go back excuse me <clears throat> i definitely want to be able to return to my homeland too um but that's besides the point um raise awareness simply raise awareness change you know public opinion because and it's not changing it because this is the reality on the ground, right? We're not, this is not, we're not falsifying anything. This is just what's happening on the ground. And everyone needs to know, because if we could change the public opinion, you know, to an influential majority to where, you know, politicians are going to hear from, you know, the general population and they're going to be against what they do moving forward. Yes, there are lobbyist groups that will funnel I'm, I'm talking American politics strictly here. So, you know, you, obviously we know the lobbyist groups are going to have some more power than the general public, but it's it's a, you know, bottom up, top down approach, right? It goes both ways. You need to do grassroots organizing, raise awareness. And luckily we have social media. Of course, I, I hear that Israel is going to, I don't know, I recently heard that they're trying to shut down all... Um, all the electricity yeah and um news networks resistance news networks and all that so we have to do our part and keep the story going you know let them know what's happening on the ground um yeah, yeah. and just just to add on to that because that's how deeply entrenched israeli occupation is of palestinians where they can just shut off the electricity with a flick of the switch but yeah uh Faris, do you want to add anything to that yeah uh i guess all i'd have to say is I do want people to understand the importance of speaking out. I know people say speak out when it comes to just any cause. Um, but I think when it comes to Palestine, there are really two things that I want people to understand is that speaking out does make a difference. Uh, because if you live in a Western country, which chances are, if you're listening to this, you are. If people believe that Israel is moral and it's okay to support it, then the politicians who keep being voted in will, or at least to an extent. And the massive expansion of solidarity that we saw, that we witnessed two years ago in 2021, 
was a game changer. And I think we still haven't felt all the repercussions for that. I think it like will keep gradually feeling those effects over the next few years as slowly more and more politicians get affected by those voters and begin to reflect these policies. At the end of the day, Israel cannot do what it does without all the support it receives from other governments and without the absolute lack of challenging that it receives. And I want people to understand that we're not asking every country on earth to join in the fight because that's not even the next step. The next step, the absolute non-negotiable basic is for governments to stop overwhelmingly supporting Israel in the occupation right now. Like we're not even talking about supporting the resistance against the occupation, which I can just go on about, about what that looks like in historical examples. And actually the fact that international law requires that in the case of an occupation, every country on earth has an obligation to do what it can to stand it. I'm just talking about not making it worse, to stop selling weapons to Israel, to stop giving money to Israel, to stop importing goods and products that are made in settlements, that are made in land that has been stolen from Palestinians, and so that it enables these enterprises and these communities to expand and to keep taking over more land. These are just, we're just asking governments to stop making it worse right now. And so this is a huge opportunity because the world only pays attention to Palestine when, when things like this happen, when there is direct escalation of visible violence because it's only visible because there's constant violence always occurring but this is visible all the smoke all the bombs and so this is a very crucial opportunity and it's very limited in time for us to be able to expand solidarity and educate people and get the truth out there and combat all the misinformation that's coming out and that's what you can do and it's not futile because i think as maybe a lot of us were reminded as we saw all these images of the Gaza wall and the fence being demolished, of Palestinians finally exiting the, the, the this open air prison and breaking free, liberation is possible. If this is what Palace, just a fraction of the Palestinian people, just the Palestinians in Gaza have been able to achieve on their own, under some of the toughest circumstances imaginable, can you imagine what all of us are capable of together? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's a, it's a great point to end on. Um, thank you guys for your time. And well, I guess to all the listeners, we will hopefully be back with you in a couple of days with good news or, or at least not bad news. We will keep you updated with, with everything that's going on. Um, and any questions that you, that you may have, put them on the Let's Talk Palestine in the comments. We'll be reading them. Um, reply to stories or whatever it takes and we will we will get back to you we will answer questions in in following episodes and yeah uh, we we hope to see you very soon thank you very much